This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Welcome to our To The Point Podcast. This is Sarah Gillespie. I'm the Compliance Director at Lipscomb & Pitts, and I have with me Stacey Barrow, our ERISA counsel. Hello, Stacey. Hi there. So today we're going to talk about the fact that the American Healthcare Act, known as the AHCA, did finally pass the House. And what does that mean? What does it look like? How does it compare to what was the AHCA and the ACA? Um, just going to give you a brief overview of the topic and what's going on. So, Stacy, can you explain what changed from the original bill, the original AHCA, to garner enough votes to pass this time? Sure. So, uh, like you said, the AHCA or the American Health Care Act, it passed in the House of Representatives on May 4th. Um, it passed with uh, 217 votes, so they, they had uh, only one to spare. Um, they had 20 Republicans who voted against it, and 193, or 100% of the Democrats voted against it. Um, this was their second or third time trying to get it to pass the House, and there were several changes that were made um, to, uh, to obtain those votes from the Freedom Caucus and the Tuesday group. Uh, the Freedom Caucus is the more right-leaning or conservative wing, about 20-person wing of the uh, House Republicans, and the Tuesday group um, is the more moderate uh, wing of, of those House Republicans. And so there were some changes made um, to get the support of both of those groups. Um, in, in large part, it was, um, well, under the unamended AHCA, it basically pushed the determination of essential health benefits down to the states where they could um, affect those 10 broad categories of essential health benefits. And the MacArthur Amendment took that and reinstated essential health benefits as the federal standard. And so they maintained um, the prohibition on denying coverage due to pre-existing medical conditions, prohibitions on discrimination based on gender. They maintained the guaranteed issue and renewability rules as well as the community rating rules. So on, on its surface, it seemed to really be catering to the more moderate wing. But within that amendment, the MacArthur Amendment, they established this waiver option. Um, and basically the waiver option allows states to get waivers from some of the federal standards, like the essential health benefit standards. States could set their own definitions for essential health benefits for the individual and small group markets starting in 2020. That's after the ACA premium credits phase out under the AHCA. It also allows them to increase the age ratio above five to one starting in 2018. Um, it also allows them to waive out of the community rating rules, except for certain categories. Um, one of them is gender and the other is health status, except unless the state has established a high risk pool 
and the health status underwriting is only permitted for a limited duration and only for those who've had a lapse in coverage. So in the press, depending on, uh, I guess, what network you, you listen to at night, you're going to hear some people from the left saying pre-existing condition exclusions are back. And then you'll hear from the right that says not so fast. You still cannot um, refuse to provide coverage due to a pre-existing condition exclusion. And so the Democrats are, are basically saying, you know, that's that's not really the case because if you've had a gap in coverage, a lapse in coverage of, of 63 days or more, then all of a sudden you can be underwritten based on your health status and those premiums can be tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, uh, per year. So, you know, while they can't deny you coverage due to a pre-ex condition, if you've had a lapse in coverage, they can rate you based on that condition. So uh, I'll leave it to you to decide, the listener, um, if the pre-ex conditions are back. Um, but that, that's that's how it works. So that's and that's how they um, garnered enough votes to pass it. Along with um, there was one other amendment too, the Upton amendment made at the the last minute, um, which provides eight billion dollars uh, to fund high risk pools. And I know that it seems like a lot of money. Um, but spread over 10 years around the country, um, it's looked at as being absolutely woefully um, inadequate to, to fund those claims, you know, may, maybe a, like a tenth of a percent or something like that. Um, so um, that is how they got it to pass the House. Um, the Senate has it now. Um, and they have basically said they're going to have to rewrite it. Um, the, the House version of the bill is not really reconciliation ready. Um, in, in order to, to have to, to pass a reconciliation bill um, due to the Byrd rule, uh, the bill has to directly affect federal spending, can't have more than an incidental effect. And so one of the, the changes under the AHCA is that it gets rid of the ACA's individual mandate where you paid a penalty to the government if you didn't have insurance and replaces it with an individual mandate penalty that is paid over to the insurance carriers. If you, um, if you have a gap in coverage, then the insurance carrier can surcharge you um, up to 30% of the cost of coverage for 12 months following your, your next 12 months you know, after you re-enroll. So, you know, when the money is paid over to the insurance companies rather than the federal government, that's, you know, something that is probably not reconciliation ready, not directly affecting government spending. And so that's one of the kind of things I think they're going to have to really uh, tinker with in the Senate. Yeah, well, I've definitely heard that, um, you know, it passed the House, but now it sits with the Senate and there's a lot of work to be done and that there's a lot of time that will probably pass before and if this ever becomes law. But before we before we close and kind of make some more comments about that, um, can you just remind our listeners what the most significant changes were from the ACA for employers? Yeah, I mean, the, the most direct changes for employers is the repeal of the employer mandate 
uh, retroactively back to January 1st of 2016. So if that were to pass, then we'd only have penalty exposure for employers for the 2015 reporting year. Um, this AHCA is, is really more of a tax bill than a health care bill. Um, the vast majority of the ACA taxes and fees get repealed um, in due course. Some of them are phased out after a few years. Some of them get repealed immediately. Um, but it, it really is more of a, a tax bill and a Medicaid reform bill uh, than, than a health care bill. I'm getting some mixed messages on ACA reporting and its continued requirement if the penalties were zeroed out back to 2016. Is there still a reporting requirement if essentially compliance with the mandate is optional if there are no penalties? Um, so the AHCA, um, you can see very clearly in the law, it amends the employer mandate out of existence as of 1-1-16. That's a certain section of the Internal Revenue Code. The AHCA does not amend the ACA's reporting rules out of existence. Um, and since the premium tax credits are phased out um, after 2019, there probably would be some form of reporting for the next few years, even if there's no employer mandate penalties, because the IRS would still need to administer the premium tax credit program. Um, <clears throat> perhaps they would amend the regulations and change them if there's no employer mandate, perhaps simplify it, but there is nothing directly in the AHCA that gets rid of those ACA reporting rules um, you know, d directly. Um, I, I think they would be certainly moot after 2019, um, but until then, um, I think there would have to still be some form of reporting just to administer the premium tax credit program. Okay, I think that that makes more sense. So there were a couple other things that I know would affect employers. Um, FSAs would be unlimited as far as the amount that the employer could set. Well, I guess the employer still has a choice there, but there's not a federal limit, right? Right. Yeah, before um, the ACA, most employers didn't have more than a $5,000 limit on health FSAs, but we certainly saw some that had greater limits, um, and you would have that flexibility back. Um, those kinds of taxes that the ACA imposed, like um, the limit on health FSA contributions, the prohibition on reimbursing over-the-counter medicines under a health FSA, um, increased penalties on ineligible HSA distributions, none of them had any, um, any intent to bend the cost curve. They were simply revenue raisers for the government, medicine cabinet taxes, and I think it'll be good to get those repealed if the ACA uh, makes its way uh, you know, further through the, the chambers of Congress. Okay, and then enhancements to the HSA was the only other one that I had on my list. Yeah, um, so HSAs, as you know, have been around for 15 years at least. Um, they're, they're not new, um, and there have been enhancements to HSAs in the form of, of bills that have been proposed in Congress for 10 years, and neither party um, has shown any real interest in enhancing HSAs. They picked up a bunch of these bills that were languishing in Congress and they dropped them into the AHCA. Um, 
they would increase the health or sorry the health savings account contribution limit up to the HDHP out of pocket limits. So they go roughly from like 3,500 um, for single, 7,000 for family, to um, over 6,000 for single and over 13,000 for family. Those are the rough numbers, uh, but they would they would nearly um, double um, the contribution limits. They would also put into place um, certain administrative uh, conveniences allowing um, spouses to contribute to the same um, HSA for their catch-up contributions, um, allowing employees to um, reimburse claims incurred during the first 60 days of HDHP coverage, even if they haven't set up the HSA on day one. Those little kind of fixes uh, making them more user-friendly. But again, these these have been sitting around for years. Neither party has shown any interest in advancing them. Um, and so to to kind of put them into the the AHCA is is being some way to to lower cost or bend the cost curve is is really you know nothing new. Okay, and to your point earlier, all of this could mean nothing if it gets rewritten in the Senate. It could mean something. It may stay. It may not stay. But basically, it it's with the Senate, and it needs to pass there. And it may not pass there, or it may be entirely rewritten. And it may take the rest of the year before we know anything, right? Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, you know, like like I said, there's so the Senate is indicated they're basically going to rewrite it. Um, <clears throat> they always have these very interesting quips or, or bromides. Um, one of the uh, little sayings that I heard, I, I can't remember which one of them said it, um, but when asked, you know, how similar is the Senate's version going to be to the House version, he said something to the effect of, well, it's like cr- trying to cram a giraffe through a keyhole. You, you might be able to do it, but he's not going to look the same on the, the other side. I don't know where they get these from, but... <laughs> Well, that's definitely unique. Um, okay, so the the uh, message that we have had all along, ever since we've been talking about this before the AHCA, after the first one, you know, didn't pass, we were looking at it. The message has always been stay the course until told otherwise. So that's still the message we're repeating, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, just stay the course. Um, the ACA is still in effect now. Um, as we've seen, it's very difficult to repeal um, a standing law that's been in place for seven years. So we'll just have to see um, what comes out of the Senate. And it'll be interesting to see how they approach this, this issue. You know, are they going to try to pass the Senate version as a reconciliation bill, which will allow them to pass it with a mere uh, 51 votes? Or will they try to go the bipartisan route and pass it with the regular 60-vote supermajority, which would need them, they would need to get at least eight Democrats to vote alongside them. Um, And, you know, based on, you know, my feeling that the House version is not really reconciliation ready, they might have to do some significant rewriting, and that would be the chance to work with both parties and, and really fix some of the um, issues with the ACA if, if they really are serious about trying to pass a health care bill and not just uh, pave the way for tax reform. 
Thanks so much for the breakdown and the analysis. I think it's been really helpful to better understand what's going on and what may or may not happen in the future. Well, thanks for joining this podcast. Please listen in to other podcasts for other topics and other information. If you would like specific details on a comparison side-by-side of the ACA versus the AHCA proposed provisions, I have that. I'd be happy to share that with you. I've sent out a couple of email alerts to some of our clients that I'd be happy to share with you as well. Email me at sarahg at lpinsurance.com. And if you have any further questions or would like more discussion with Stacy, I can get you in contact with him as well. Thanks so much.